0: Amen. Thank you the will if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn to James chapter 1. Enjoyed reading through James a little bit over the course of the week. And this second verse has just kind of been stuck in my head. We'll start from 1. James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers or diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect an entire, wanting nothing. Now, if I were to write a letter to one of you, let's say Sister Callie. Write a letter to Sister Callie. It's been a while since I've seen you. It's good to see you. And I started off with, Dear Sister Callie, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. She'd probably look at me like I was a little nuts. Right? It's not your typical, hey, how you doing? Right? But that was really the focus of the rest of this letter, you go reread James and you keep that line in mind, the rest of it will make a whole lot more sense about what these Jews, the twelve tribes, Jewish Christians, are facing. Remember the Jews there in Jerusalem, old brother Paul, back when he was Saul, they really had a problem with those who were rejecting not only their faith, but they perceived it as rejecting their race. There was an intense animosity being projected against Christian Jews. Right? So they were undergoing some serious trials. So much so that that's the first thing the Lord inspired James to write when he's writing unto them. Alright, so let's... What I want to talk about this morning is joy. But this is where we're starting. Counted all joy. Joy, what's joy? Joy is calm delight. Cheerfulness. Alright. The most you know, pure example that I can I could think of on that is a new mama, new daddy, holding that little feller, maybe a little gal <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> Apparently, they come in those editions,
1: <laughs> right?
0: New mama, particularly with your first, you're just looking at this little thing, joy, right? Joy calm, delight, cheerfulness. Okay? We can kind of understand joy. But it's hard to understand it in this context, isn't it? Count it all joy. All right, What's it mean by count? Well, It's like an accounting term. It means put it over here in, in this ledger. It means to deem it, to esteem it. Even though it may not feel like it or look like it, where you put it, is in the joy bucket. Okay? Count it. All. Count it all joy. Whole, thoroughly, entirely. We'd really like to say partially, right? Or none at all. Count it all joy. Esteem it to be, deem it to be entirely joy when what? What? When you fall into diverse temptations. And the word fall into, um, Strong says, to fall into something that is then all around. To be surrounded. Have ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't like movie references, but still, he falls in the snake pit, right? Them snakes is all around. That's a pretty good image of falling into diverse temptations where you are. Surrounded. And what do we mean by temptations? It may not be exactly what you think it is. Sometimes when you use the word temptations, it means the things that I want to lust after. It's a little bit broader than that. This word temptation, the strongest definition, puts it as putting to the proof. It's like a test. A testing. The implied of that is there's adversity. But the idea... Y'all ever heard, you know, see one of those military movies? We're going to see what you're made of, boy, right? In basic, the soldiers are all confident. They got it. But when you're in the field and under fire, that's when you see what your metal's made out of. You see if your training's really stuck, right? Or do you hightail it and run, right? When you're in the diverse temptations, you're being put into the proof. You're in the field. You're being put under fire. Here's why you can count it all joy. The reason says in verse 3, knowing this, you have an understanding that something bigger is going on. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, that trying is the same concept, testing, the testing of your faith to determine how trustworthy is it. Right? You can think you're really good and really strong and got really a lot of skill in something until you try to do it, right? And try to exercise it. And then you can see your shortcomings, right? So the trying of your faith. We use the term faith a lot. What does that mean? That means your your persuasion, your belief, your confidence in yourself. No. That's the faith in God and in His promises. Basically, it's counted righteousness for us we believe God is who He says He is and that He's going to do what He says He will do and that He's done what He said He did. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Worketh, accomplishes, causes, fashions, produce. Going through the trials, the temptations, putting through these tests of your faith, produces patience. What's patience? Cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. By going through these trials and having my faith tested, the end result is the ability to cheerfully endure. Alright? Let's look at a secular equivalent. I'm not a health nut by any stretch you see me running there's probably a bear not it's not a voluntary thing however some people really enjoy it and there are some who enjoy it so much that they'll do crazy crazy things like triathlons where they're gonna bike and then swim and run for long long distances voluntarily but how do they get to do that it's called endurance training They have to build up their body, their lungs, their heart, and their mind to be able to endure all that, right? They need to build up their, it's called stamina, right? Definition from stamina I looked up. Both the mental and physical ability to sustain an activity for a long period of time. It takes a whole lot of stamina to run and swim and bike and triathlon. I would sink. It wouldn't be... Wouldn't, wouldn't happen for me. I don't have that stamina. And you have to be ready to perform whatever activity the next stage of that race requires. Right? So do you just jump into that race? Sign me up. I just started, you know, walking today as a toddler. Let me sign up for that race. Will it go well? Probably not. Training. That's what That's what is required. When you and I are going through trials and temptations that are testing our faith, the Lord has got us in training. He is building us up and producing patience, the ability to cheerfully endure, regardless of what is going on. Okay? There's a difference between the temptation being a trial, being a joyous experience and being able to count it as joy count it as a good thing to esteem it as profitable for you and for me okay the lord is growing you he is growing your faith he is producing patience if you are to grow up and be a mature follower of christ you have to have patience okay so it's about being able to see the bigger picture. Right, let's see, I've got a couple of illustrations. These may not resonate for you, but small picture, small child, you feel bad. Just your tummy hurts, you got a fever, you feel bad. Mama says, take this medicine. You say, that medicine's nasty. It takes bad. I don't wanna take that medicine, right? You may even run around the house. You may even projectile vomit it up if they try. Doesn't have anything to do with the illustration, it just had flashbacks there. It's awful. <laughs> a child can't see the big picture that you and I can see of I'm sick. I need something to help me get better. That something may be terrible. I've had some nasty medicines. But I can see that it's gonna be better off for me in the long run. That medicine is a good thing. Let's take that even farther. Let's say that medicine's not available. Right? I remember watching Balto? That whole movie is about trying to get some medicine to some sick kids. What if that medicine tasted nasty? You think any of those kids or their parents are going to complain? No, they're going to count it joy. Because this nasty thing is going to produce something very good for me in the long run. Right? Does that kind of make sense? No? Let's try a different one. Eating your veggies. I hit the kids twice, right? Eat your veggies. Small child, I don't like veggies. Adults, some of y'all be like, I don't like veggies. I don't know how you grew up in the South. and grandma didn't beat you enough. But... Good. I don't like veggies. I ain't going to eat them. Right? Small picture. Bigger picture, I know that veg- vegetables have the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that I need to survive, to grow, to get stronger, to be big. Even though I may not like the taste of them, I eat them. Right? Same example, take it to the extreme. Say they aren't available. You know what happens if you don't have enough fruits and veggies? You die of scurvy. Right? There are things that we may not enjoy that are still good things that produce good results in us in the long term. And it's easier for us to endure those discomforts when we see the big picture, right? So I need to grow. I need to grow in my faith. I need to grow and mature as a follower of Christ. One aspect of that maturity is that I need to grow in patience. I need to have the ability to the trained ability to cheerfully endure regardless of what is going on. That's how we stand fast in the midst of the worst trials and persecution. Cause let's be honest, folks, we've never faced anything. Somebody came in here and said, Y'all quit, or I'm gonna start shooting. We've never had that experience. This is how God trains up somebody to endure that experience. That I'm going to faithfully serve my Lord regardless of what comes. That nothing can knock me off. He gets the glory on it. He's training me up. But it's our perspective as we're going through these in comparison mild discomforts we can see the good result that He can produce by growing us. Okay, now, and just you know, finish our definitions. Let the patients have her perfect work, that you may be perfect. That perfect means mature, a full age, an entire, that you may be perfect. Mature, an entire, that means complete. It means sound in every aspect. Okay. So not only are you mature, but you are fully developed in all aspects. Patience, have her perfect work, wanting Nothing. The Lord is equipping you with the tools that you need. Okay? Now, all this would be, one, impossible for the world to accept, but it may even be hard for you to accept if you have a bad definition of joy. Right? Now, I want you to go back to that definition of, or consider that illustration of the small child, right? Still in the hospital. New car, smell fresh, right? You're looking at it. Whoa. Are you sitting there looking? There's a lot of sleepless nights coming. This thing's going to just be two at some point and giving me fits, and I'm going to have to pick him up and carry him out of church, right? He's going to be a rebellious semi-teenager, right? No. You're not, right? All those things come with it, You know it. You're going to know it. But no. You have a joy for this child that really stems from, from your love for it. A love that no matter what the adversity you're going to, love and train and correct and build up this child. Doing your best to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because the Lord has blessed you with this child To be in your care and responsibility. And so you're looking at this thing, this dynamite package full of trouble, with joy. Because you see the big picture of the responsibility that God has given you for the care and love of this particular child. Okay? So what I would like to do this morning is consider really what we mean by joy. Because the world's definition of joy is, is, is distorted. It's a sorry, it's a thin, it's a veiled, it's, it's, it's worthless. The source of joy is not going to be the perfect house or a nice house. It's not going to be the great job or the great salary. It's not going to be the perfect family. It's not going to be the car. It's not going to be having the right toy. It's not going to be the vacations. Those things are all diversions. at best. Some are useful tools, sure. But that can't be our source of joy. Those are fleeting. You know that song, The Fleeting Charms of This Earth Farewell? That's all those. It means it goes away. If you put that as your definition of joy, guess what? You're putting as much... It's like a soap bubble. Ever wash dishes and a soap bubble come up? Blow bubbles on the porch? Try and catch that bubble. How long can you keep it? Not very long. Maybe a minute. Maybe two. It's going to pop. There's no doubt about it. It's going to pop. That's the same thing with those. They're going to go away. So what is, what is real joy? And how I'd like to try and answer this is just really look at a survey of scriptures. There's not a particular method to this madness. I'm just going to kind of start in Matthew, and we're just going to go forward a little bit. And looking at, I did a word search for joy. Very similar Greek words, I think there's two, but the concepts are pretty consistent. And so this is not going to be super organized, other than... We're just going to look, see what the word says about joy and see if that matches up with my definition of, well, if I do this, I'll be happy. Versus, what does Scripture say? What does it say? All right, let's start in Matthew chapter 13, 44. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Matthew 13, 44. Yep, we got a joy in there. Jesus is giving various illustrations or short parables to help explain what the kingdom of heaven is. 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden a field that when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. The kingdom of heaven. Sometimes I think that's referring the truth of the gospel in the church here sometimes that's referring to the eternal kingdom in this context I think it's the here and now that suddenly you've become aware of the most precious thing on the planet you've found it and with joy you let everything else go away and you pursue that it becomes the most important thing the kingdom of heaven Do we hold that to be a thing of great joy to the exclusion of everything else now? Let's go forward a little bit. And I'm not going to make a whole lot of comments. Most of these, is I want you to start thinking about it. I'm not going to give you the answers. I won't say I've got them all. But we need to be thinking about this in our life and over the course of this week, and we can talk about it some more. Matthew 25 and 21. All right. This goes into the talents. we talked about the talents several times the past few weeks. I won't rehash it other than he gave some talents to somebody, less to another, less to another. Two used it profitably, the other hid it and didn't do anything. When he's talking to those who used it profitably, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over many things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. All right. So our first one was looking at a joy that was here and now. This one, I think, is the joy of the Lord. That's the internal inheritance. That's the one that Christ paid for. That's what one day, that rest that's been promised, that's what you'll have. It's there. The Lord's joy. He's the source. It's with Him. Okay? The inheritance of the Lord. Let's go forward a little bit farther. How about Luke? Luke chapter 1 and 44. Luke 1 and 44... <coughs> Context, Jesus' mother, Mary, has gone to John the Baptist's mother, um, Elizabeth. John the Baptist is still a baby in the womb. Right? He hasn't been born yet. She's about six months along. Okay, And as soon as Mary's voice sounds in Elizabeth's ears, you know what that little baby did? He leapt for joy. That literally translates to jump for joy. Jump for joy in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake with a loud voice. And let's see, I don't know if I want to get all... Yeah, we'll go ahead. She said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation, the hello, the greeting, sounded in my ear, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Now, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost while still in the womb. And here he was leaping for joy because the Savior was near. Mary's not the Savior. But in time, He's coming. He's going to be born soon. This is the mother that was chosen to carry Him. Jesus is coming. There is a reason to jump for joy when Jesus is near. Right? Luke 2 and verse 10. You have the angels appear to the shepherds. Right? Jesus has now been born in Bethlehem. And what did the angels say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people great joy and abundant, literally big joy. The biggest joy. The Savior not only was near in time back a few months ago, He's here. He's come into creation, born of a virgin. The Savior is here. Great joy. How about we fast forward to let's go back, let's go back to Matthew, just real quick. Matthew 28. I want to grab a particular verse? Jesus, after he has been sacrificed, sacrificed himself on the cross, and he has died, and then that next day the women come, and they see the angel, not the next day, but when they come the, the first of the week. The angel appeared unto the women and said, Fear not, fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, and he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. So that's the message. They saw an angel, they saw the place where he lay, and they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy. Great joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a great, great joy. That shows that his mission was accomplished. That it was an accepted work by God. That he redeemed and saved each one of his people fully. Great joy, they went to tell. They had something to tell. You have something to tell. Let's go forward again to Luke 24. Luke 24, Jesus does uh, appear to the disciples. And then this last time, He's going to ascend up. Luke 24, verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up His hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while He blessed them, He was parted from them and carried up into the heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great Joy! And we're continuing in the temple praising and praising and blessing God. You can rejoice that the Savior has come. You can rejoice that He died and rose again. You can rejoice that He ascended up to be with His Father, to sit on the right hand of God until His enemies are set under His footstool. That is a great joy. That is something to rejoice in. All right? Let's go back just a little bit. Look at it from a slightly different angle. Luke 6. Luke 6 and 20. Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed be ye poor. And that word's uh, raised to a degree. It means supremely blessed. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye should be filled... Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye, blessed are ye, when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and shall cast out your name as evil. Why are they doing all those things? For the Son of Man's sake. They're doing those things because you're following Christ. Verse 23, rejoice rejoice that's the active verb of joy joy is the noun you are rejoicing in that day that day when human speaking is pretty bad day right you're being kicked out you're being lied just folks are hating you scorn is being heaped upon your head because you're following christ doesn't say have a pity party huff and puff doesn't say get back Rejoice. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. Same words as John the Baptist in the womb. Leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did they their fathers unto the prophets. The benefit that you have in heaven far, far, far outweighs any trial, any persecution, any hardship. It can't even compare. And it's there because of Christ and what He did and it's secure. For in like manner did their fathers to the prophets, if the world is rejecting you and treating you like that, you're probably on the right path to serving the Lord. If the world is singing your praises and patting you on the back and telling you what a good fellow you are, we might need to check where we're at. All right? Let's go to Luke 8. There's some warnings against improper joys or joys that aren't true. This one shows up in the parable of the sower. Seed goes off. Stony ground. They that are on the rock. This is 8.13. They that are on the rock, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. So what does that say? there's going to be the temptation and those who don't really believe they're not going to want to stick with this this is a pain this is uncomfortable but for those that are the Lord's children and who He's quickened and they believe and they have it with real joy not just a fleeting emotional joy there's going to be benefits from those temptations not a fleeing away. I'm not saying we're going to do it perfectly every time. Please don't mistake me there. But the end result is that we'll grow as opposed to this joy, which is like an emotional here. Oh, I hear that. That sounds nice. But there's no depth. Okay. It's another warning. How about Luke uh, 10 and uh, 17? This is when the 70... Jesus sent out the twelve first, and later he sends out round two with the seventy. And they come back to report, and they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They were focused on their accomplishments and what they were able to do. That was the wrong focus. Jesus rebukes them. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Notwithstanding. When I use notwithstanding in the contract, it means ignore everything else, even though everything else has come before. This is the important part. right? Notwithstanding in this, that he's given you that power, rejoice not, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather, here's what you do rejoice in, that your names are written in in heaven. It's not what I can do, it's not what I can accomplish, it's what God has done, what He's done for me. And keeping that focus on my Heavenly Father. Right? Because when we start focusing on us, you know what our our carnal head's going to do? Start to inflate with hot air. And there's going to be a humbling coming. Either voluntary or involuntary. And the magnitude will hurt. Okay. How about a different form of joy? How about a joy that takes place in heaven itself? Luke fifteen seven through ten. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Same thing illustrated again with the next verse about the woman who had ten pieces of silver. She lost one. She looked for it diligently. When she found it, she's calling everybody and rejoicing. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. If there's joy in heaven over repentance, brothers and sisters, we need to take joy in repentance too. All right. Go forward to the Gospel of John. John 3 and 29. People have been asking John the Baptist, Are you the Christ? Are you the one? The answer is, I'm already told I'm not the Christ, but that I'm sent before him. 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, the husband. Christ is the husband, the bride is the church. But the friend of the bridegroom, it's John the Baptist, when he standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Just like he was leaping for joy that the Savior was coming near. His birth was near when he was in the womb. He's now leaping because the Savior is near and you can hear his voice. Joy to hear the Savior's voice. Joy to hear the husband's voice. We as the bridegroom. Go again to John 15. John 15. Familiar passage 1-7 through talking about Jesus being the true vine. Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Right? It's not a contentment of looking at that branch. Man, that's, that's my most producing branch right there. I'm just going to leave that alone. Now that one's going to continue to get snipped and tweaked and cut so it can do even more. Right? Now you're clean through the word that I've spoken unto you. Abide in me, abide in Christ, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. The message is clear. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. How is the Father glorified? That ye bear much fruit. So ye shall be my disciples. How do you bear much fruit? By abiding in Christ, in Him and you. As the Father hath loved me, Jesus, so have I loved you. Jesus loves you with the same love that the Father has for Him. And so what's the admonition? Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. How do you abide in the love of Christ? Keep his commandments. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, ooh, Christ's joy, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And that full means packed in, crammed, my cup's overflowing. Right? full abiding in Christ keeping his commandments this is my commandment so talking about keeping his commandment this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you that's a really high standard right I think we spent like eight weeks back in the summer talking about that verse in a lot of different ways this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you how did he love Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Being willing to give of self, whether that's give of time, whether that's to give of money, whether that's to give of energy, whether that's to give up of opinions. Right? Church has to make a lot of decisions. Some of them very important. Some of them not. Right? At some point, we're going to talk about paint color. That's a not. Okay, and so if ninety-eight percent of somebody likes a paint color and two percent don't, you know what? You love by letting that go, because that is not worth getting upset over. Because that's not how we show love, right? If we're willing, if we're willing to lay down our own lives for one another, that's the standard that we're called to. What are we not willing to lay down that's so much smaller than that? And the source of that is often, at least with me, my pride. Let's go again over to John 16. John 16, we'll jump down to verse 19. Um, Jesus had told them once again that he's going to be there just a little while and then he won't see him, and then a little while and you will see him. Um, And they didn't know what he meant, and they wanted to ask him about it. And verse 19, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? Are Are you talking about it? A little while and you shall see me, and again a little while and you shall... You shall, you shall not see me, and to get a little while you shall see me. Not and then see, right? Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you. So he's going to tell them a proverb that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. So he's giving them real-time information about they're going to think they've won. The world is going to rejoice because they think that they have defeated this who they thought was a crazy person, heretic, Jesus of Nazareth. They're going to kill him on the cross. And and you're going to be sad. And you're going to be sorrowful. And the world is going to be hoping and hollering that they've they've squashed it. Right? But your joy shall be turned into sorrow. How? A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow. But when her hour has come, a woman, she's... laboring in pains when her hour has come but as soon as she is delivered of the child she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world and ye now therefore having sorrow but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Think about that. How often Do we put our joy in something that can be taken? That house can be taken by a bank or by a fire or by a flood. That car can be taken in a minute by another nut on the road. Families can be taken. Jobs can be lost. All those things another man could take. but the joy of that. The Savior who, like the song we sang this morning, who laid aside his crown for you and humbled himself, infinitely humbled himself to come into his own creation and to be mistreated and abused and mocked and scourged and ultimately to die for you. But that it didn't stop there. That he rose from the dead. And that he's alive today. That he is the head of this church. And he is reigning today. He's sitting on the right hand of God. That's real. That's a joy no man can take from you. If that is where your joy comes from, brothers and sisters, you're able to endure. You're able to stand fast. You're able to cheerfully endure no matter what because you know that to be true. And the Lord will use those temptations and those trials so that we can learn it and learn it better and learn it, yes, still here, and yes, still here. And in in the midst of it, it stinks. You don't enjoy it particularly when it's brought on by the Lord chastening us. Chastening is not joyful. It's grievous at the moment. But we know that what's produced is the patience that we need as He's growing us up to be His followers. But that our source of joy is Christ Himself. And that He went to prepare a place and that He promised that He would come back and take us to be with Him. That's what faith is. Believing who God is, what He said He is, and that what He's promised, He'll do. Jesus Christ is your joy. You can rest assured that he cannot be defeated. He cannot be overturned. He cannot be overthrown. He cannot be thwarted. Will trials come in your life? Yes. Without a doubt. If anyone tells you otherwise, you be a follower of Christ and the trials will go away. He's selling you a bill of goods. Yes, there are trials. But you can count those trials. In the joy bucket. For Christ's sake. For his glory. Recognizing that he is changing us. He is conforming us. To his own image. It is for our good. And for our benefit. And ultimately. For his glory. That we can be more profitable. And faithful servants. Thank you all for your time and attention. Upon a public profession of your faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 i mm-hmm.